In February 2019, um, I went through quite a difficult time. Um, a few things had built up, things with family, um, with various things that I was in charge of and had responsibilities for, and things just really uh, got on top of me, um, and I was getting things out of proportion, really. Um, it was a really difficult time, but with help, I... Um, I went on some antidepressants and over a period of at least a year, um, things really started to improve. At that time, the verse that really meant a lot to me was Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I really feel that God reached out to me during that time and, and just said to me, don't be anxious. There is absolutely no need to be anxious. And I, I knew that he was there with me. So fast forward to about, around about a year later, as I say, I was starting to feel quite a bit better. Um, and then we have a global pandemic and everything changed again, didn't it? It changed for all of us. So we get to that period of time and it just felt like it was a constant adjustment. Everything was changing. So the girls were at home, my daughters Olivia and Erin were at home with me uh, while I and I was working at home as well. So it was trying to juggle doing the homeschooling and um, working as well and, and just try to keep everyone um, sane really. It was um, quite difficult. But what I actually found during this time that quite a lot of things helped me. Because I'd had that interim period of the year of, of getting over feeling anxious, I really knew that I could turn to God and that he would help me at, at all times and that I didn't have to be worried or scared about anything. And there were a few things that really did help as well. Um, I found a real appreciation for my life. I found a real appreciation for my family and the environment that I lived in. I felt a real appreciation for having the house that we have and that we're so fortunate to live in a house that we enjoy being in and that we actually started to explore the area around us. We, we loved being in our environment. We, we weren't able to go out a lot initially, but we were able to appreciate nature and just all the wonderful things around. The lockdown actually made me enjoy things more, maybe. Um, I started to appreciate everything and there was a real contentment in me. Although things were going around, things were going on all around that were very, very difficult and there was no um, question that it was difficult. There just seemed to be that peace that God gives, that peace that passes all understanding. I'm just so grateful for. Um, I had also started running to help with the anxiousness and, you know, just being out running in, the, in nature with all those things together was just fantastic. And it really makes me think of a song. If you know me, you'll know that I can't think of anything without thinking of a song or bursting into song but don't worry I won't burst into song now but it made me think of um, when through the woods and forest glades I wonder and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur 
and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze and just how great the Lord is. The other thing I found that just having to slow down, I know this is a bit of a cliche and lots of people say that, having to slow down actually was a good thing. Um, I think that one of the ways I dealt with the anxiousness previously was to fill it with activity, fill it with things to do, activities, uh, things to take my daughters to, and then just having to stop everything, it, it causes you just to stop, readdress things, and I just really did feel that sense of peace, a peace that passes all understanding. It also gave me time to be in God's presence and I started the Bible in one year and I found that to be a source of great encouragement and I would encourage anyone to, to have a look at that. When things were bad within myself and I felt anxious, it didn't really matter how good things were around. But when I felt peace in myself from God, contentment, appreciation, things just changed completely so you can be in a you know a circumstance where things look really good but you don't feel right or you can be in really difficult circumstances and things are right and it reminded me again of that the verse philippians again philippians 4 again verse 12 i know what it is to be in need i know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We all got COVID at the end of August and September and I really feel that that verse helped. Um, we've come through it, everything is fine and I'm just really grateful to the Lord for all he has given us. Um, and again to end in a song, Faithful One, So Unchanging, Ageless One, You Are My Rock of Peace. Lord of all, I depend on you. You are my rock in times of trouble. You lift me up when I fall down. All through the storm, your love is the anchor. My hope is in you alone. If you know me well, you know that I rank the Lord of the Rings films as some of the greatest films ever made. I absolutely love them. Uh, and one of the reasons I love them are because of all the characters and relationships that are formed uh, throughout the story. And some of them are quite unlikely. Uh, and one of them that's quite an unexpected sort of curveball relationship is between two very different people. Uh, Gandalf, who's this powerful, wise wizard who kind of leads in some ways uh, through the story, uh, and this sort of silly, daft little hobbit called Pippin, or Peregrine Took, if you want his, his full name. Uh, and Gandalf just kind of tolerates Pippin for most of the story. Uh, Pippin's always getting up to mischief, he's always getting into trouble, uh, he's quite innocent, he's not what you'd call an intelligent sort of character, uh, but the love and the respect and the admiration between the two of them grows throughout the film. But there's a moment early on in the first film when Pippin, in a situation where they're trying to hide, where they're trying to sneak through somewhere unnoticed, uh, knocks a bucket down a well and it just echoes and echoes and echoes and makes this huge noise. And Gandalf just gives him this look of disappointment, of disapproval, uh, a look that has launched a thousand memes. Uh, and he looks at him and he says, fool of a took, again, 
a phrase that has launched a, a thousand memes as well, if, if not more. And I wonder in, in our lives if we've got used to living with a look of disappointment, with a look of, of disapproval. Maybe it's a look that you don't have to re go back far in your memory banks to see from a parent or a teacher or a sibling or a partner uh, or a boss or maybe even a minister, maybe even a stranger. That look that has made you feel less, that has made you feel small, that's made you feel silly. Maybe for others of us, we launched out into something, a career, a hobby, a ministry, uh, a relationship, and our expectations were like sky high. Uh, we really felt that this was going to be the thing, uh, that this was going to be our moment, uh, our, uh, our reason for, for being here. And yet today, as we look at it, and maybe even as we look at ourselves in the mirror, it's us that are giving ourselves that sense of disappointment, that sense of regret, of disapproval, of missing what we were aiming at, of failing to live up to all our expectations, all our hopes and all our dreams. In this little book, just two chapters long of Haggai, uh, we're introduced to the character of Zerubbabel. Every time I say his name, I'm afraid that I've put too many bubbles in, but I'm fairly sure that's right, Zerubbabel. Uh, and he's introduced to us as son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. Now, strictly speaking, his father, Shealtiel, was not a governor in, in any sort of legal authority sense of the word. word. Uh, the Persian Empire allowed these returning exiles, or the remnant of them, uh, to call him that and to have some sort of authority uh, within their own ranks and within their own tribe. But they didn't recognise it as an official position. He was just sort of called governor by title, but he had no power. But the weight of regret and disappointment comes because by all rights, Shealtiel and then his son, Zerubbabel, should have been king. Deep within their veins, there pulsates this royal blood. If anyone was going to reclaim the throne of David, it would be them or one of their descendants. And yet right now in their history, there is no throne. I mean, that's been wiped out. That's been destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. But now the Persians are in charge and they've allowed them to return home. But it's not the same. There's no opportunity for them. And as Zerubbabel looks back over their history and over his life and what was and what is now, there must have been this huge sense of that could have been mine. I should have had the opportunity to lead, to rule, to serve, to influence, to, to, to take my place. If it's by all rights, by birthright, it's mine. And God had promised to David that one of his sons would always sit on the throne. And yet, as Israel lets go of their side of the promise, uh, that, that, that future, uh, that legacy uh, seems further and further away. And Shealtiel, and his father before him, and now Zerubbabel, and presumably his kids after him, 
live with that sense of failing to live up to everything that was promised them, everything that was expected of them. What is it that Shakespeare has Henry IV say in one of his plays? Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. And for Zerubbabel and his father and grandfather before him, there is this sense of not living up to a legacy or that sense of, of disappointment, that sense of failure. It's interesting that in this letter, all of Haggai's prophecies, when they mention individuals, uh, both directly address not somebody but their son. So it's the high priest's son who's addressed and it's the governor's son who's addressed. God is deliberately choosing the least likely in the relationship to bring about his purposes and his plans. And then at the end of this amazing prophecy, this amazing diary, uh, we have the most personal prophecy, a prophecy that's directed to just one person. Haggai chapter two, verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each on the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. But very often in life, when significant things happen to us, uh, we miss them in the moment. It's only when you stop and look back on something that you realise that it was part of something so much bigger. Yeah, for the Persian Empire, allowing these exiles to rebuild an important building from their history uh, was of no concern at all. Uh, this small remnant of a now defeated nation, uh, putting back together some bricks and mortar, was small change for them in the grand scheme of things. They didn't see it as threatening. Yes, it was symbolic, important for them, but nothing. It was just a another building project, another way to keep people, a group of people happy and hopefully then peaceful uh, in their empire. And maybe even for some of the Israelites back then who didn't get involved or who just watched from the sidelines, uh, this was just bricks and mortar. Was it really going to change anything? But for Zerubbabel, what God says here in this moment is so precious. This Zerubbabel, this, this building, this building project is part of something that is so much bigger. Zerubbabel, you have a place in the unfolding story of my plan for the planet. On that day, I will take you, my servant, remember these words, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty amazing words and, and what a high note uh, to end on. 
uh, on that day. So this is prophetic shorthand for the day of the Lord, the great reckoning uh, of the ages. I will take you, Zerubbabel, and I will make you like my signet ring. Now, back in the day, signet rings were worn by sovereigns, by monarchs, by kings, and they were a symbol of, of deep affection. If you took that off and gave it to somebody, uh, that's because you adored them, you admired them. It was also a symbol of authenticity. Uh, laws could be stamped in letters with the king's signet ring. Uh, and it's a symbol as well of authority. If it carries that stamp, it carries the authority of the king. And God is saying here to, to Zerubbabel, who by all rights should have been king, but because of circumstances and history is not king, you are my authentic king. You carry my authority. You, you have on you my affection. I've, I've chosen you for this task, Zerubbabel. What does that do for somebody who feels less than? who feels disappointed and disappointing. These are incredible words. So what's the big deal about rebuilding the temple? Well, throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies about the King, the Messiah, who is to come. And one of the phrases that is used about him uh, by Isaiah mainly, but others as well, is this phrase, my servant my servant. There are great passages in Isaiah uh, known as the suffering servant passages that are referring to Jesus and prophesying uh, what Jesus will do uh, and how he'll suffer on the cross for us. Uh, my servant, my servant, it, it's building up to something. Uh, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi in chapter 3, prophesies that the servant, the Messiah, will come to the temple then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to this temple. The messenger who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So somehow the temple is going to form a foundational part of the ministry and the mission of the Messiah. Now that can't happen if the temple isn't there. And so rebuilding the temple, investing in this, is a way of demonstrating trust in these promises. We believe you will come, therefore we will build it. And of course the Lord did come to the temple, didn't he? He came as a baby. And Simeon and Anna recognised that the Lord they were seeking had come. Even as a baby they saw the anointing that rested on him. Uh, he was back there as a boy, confounding the teachers of the law with his wisdom, with his knowledge of the scriptures, with his knowledge of the heart of God. And he was back there as a man uh, on the first day of the last week of his life, cleansing the temple, casting out the money changers and the thieves and the robbers who had turned it into an entertainment industry, who were making money from the poor who, who were coming to, to sacrifice. And when the Lord is lifted up on the cross to die, we're told that as he died, the earth beneath him shook. It was literally an earthquake. Uh, and the effects of this are felt throughout the city. Uh, graves are opened and dead people come out again. And there in the temple, the curtain that separated the people from the holy place, the holy of holies, the presence of God, is torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing the death of religion. That way is not needed. Jesus' death is the final Passover, the final sacrifice. God has shaken again the heavens and the earth 
in Jesus. Because Zerubbabel trusted and rebuilt the temple, uh, it paves the way for all that Jesus is going to come to do generations later. But don't close the book. That's not the end of the story yet. Uh, three days later, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, there is another earthquake. God shakes the heavens and the earth. And the women who come running to the tomb, the first chance they've got after a Sabbath rest to anoint Jesus's body for burial. And they find the stone that should have been blocking the way is rolled away. The, the soldiers that should have been guarding the tomb are lying on the floor like dead men. And Jesus, the one who should be inside, buried, is alive and well. God has shaken the heavens uh, and the earth. The old order of things has been flipped on its head. Our last enemy, death itself, the wages of that enemy that we all battle with, sin, both have been defeated because of the cross. Jesus has shaken the heavens and the earth. Jesus' death and resurrection change everything. And now, because Jesus, the King of all kings, the one who by all rights should wear the crown, because he laid that down, because he went to the cross, became sin for us was punished and cursed and died in our place. He now has been given the name that is above every other name, that at the name Jesus, every knee should bow, every empire, every sovereign, every governor, every authority, every influence in my life and yours must one day bow the knee to the name Jesus. And Zerubbabel, a name that perhaps before this series you may never have heard or, or if you have just only ever occasion never really thought that much about it he has a part to play in this huge amazing heavens and earth shaking story his life is part of something much bigger and i wonder right now if god wants to invite you and i to zoom out from the coal face that we so often stare at and just zoom back to see something of his bigger picture because see you and i have the opportunity to serve our own kingdom our own story our own hopes and dreams or to serve this kingdom that cannot be shaken this kingdom that has seen others rise and fall, come and go, attacks bounce off it over the years. But this kingdom, the, what was it Isaiah said of the increase of his government and peace? There will be no end. He will reign over David's throne, establishing it and upholding it with righteousness and justice forevermore. Maybe as we live in our little ways with moments of regret and failure and disappointment. God wants to invite us to zoom out, to realize that our lives are part of this kingdom, this unfailing kingdom, this unending kingdom. And maybe for some of us, we'll never know the part that we played, the place that we had. Maybe it'll only be in eternity when we realize. And maybe for others of us, 
there's a sense in which the Lord is asking us right now to do something which to others and maybe even to ourselves seems a bit silly, a bit insignificant, a bit small. Speak to that person. Pray for them. That money that I've given you, that I've blessed you with, go, go give it to them. That ministry, that opportunity, I want you to be part of that, even though you don't think you've got the experience or the gifts or the time or the passion. And I've chosen you to, to go and do that. And maybe if we will let go of what we think should be ours or what we think we should do, and trust what he's calling us to do, we'll see that we're part of something that is so much bigger, so much greater. Jesus is King. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you say to us, I will build my church and the gates of hell themselves shall not prevail against it. Thank you, Lord, that we're part of you, part of your people, part of your kingdom, part of what you're doing. So right now, Lord, would you show to us any way in which you're prompting us and nudging us and leading us to serve your kingdom? And I particularly want to pray, uh, Lord, tonight for anybody that might be living with a sense of disapproval or disappointment. Lord, I thank you that you look at us with a Father's eyes and that even at times when we do let you down, when we don't do what you would want us to do and when we do things that you would not want us to do, that you look at us with eyes of grace and that you say to each and every one of us tonight, you are my child. And I'm thrilled about that. You have royal blood cursing through your veins. And I do not for a moment regret calling, inviting and loving you. Lord, would you free us from our fear of failure, from the fear of the eyes and the thoughts of others, would you release us to serve with passion and faith the call of your kingdom? We pray that, Father, for the sake of those who don't yet know you. We pray that for the sake of your church, the sake of your kingdom. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.